0: Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dharma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dharma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're at the... Twenty or twenty-first chapter of the Dhammapada. Which? Where are we at? Twenty. Thank you. Um, this and the remaining uh, five chapters, right, or six. Um, yeah, I think I said earlier in this that the Dhammapada, right? The way I, the way it feels to me right now, it feels like a symphony, and it's building uh, to a crescendo now as, as we get to the to the end of this Um, in his last uh, concluding chapters, uh, describes so clearly and so powerfully just what we're doing. And I think that anybody who may be confused about the Dhamma, if they really just go through the Dhammapada and understand the context that it's presented in, will understand this. And and it seems like we've all, as a Sangha, uh, realized that, Maybe more so this time through the Dhammapada than any. Um, this chapter, the Magga Vaga. Um, the Vaga means about, or um, it could be it could be said this is on, and so Maga is the Eightfold Path. This is about the Eightfold Path. The Buddha describing his path, his only path that he taught. Um, and he taught it for one reason. The Buddha didn't see himself as a savior, so he didn't see himself teaching a salvific religion, yet another um, salvific religion that is prone to introducing conflict in people's minds and so also in the world. And I'm not condemning religion or salv- salvific religions, but history shows us that most, most all wars were fought in some way over religion because religion creates conflict in people's minds. Whether it's valid or not, That can't be argued. So the Buddha recognizes too. In his search, during his six years of searching for understanding, he came across, studied, and mastered every uh, modern, to his time, uh, religion. Recognized that they were all, uh, at best, a distraction from what he was looking for, understanding what it meant to be a human being. And by recognizing and abandoning distraction and conflict, he ended up, remember the Nagara Sutta, Realizing this path and notice how he puts a great emphasis on the foundation of this path meaning jhana meditation what we just did and then think about what we just did we we use this um, very simple and very pure meditation technique to do what we did tonight we came in here we left our busy lives behind we sat in seclusion and established concentration to begin our class. The Buddha references that throughout this sutta, throughout this chapter. The Buddha's words: of all paths, the eightfold path is unsurpassed. So again, remember the setting. The Buddha's teaching, probably at this point, at least a thousand students, maybe more. Sometimes you can you can pinpoint uh, the time frame. Uh, this this particular chapter, you can't. Um, but he's teaching people who have been practicing all kinds of different paths, like many people today, whether they call it a path or a philosophy or a religion or a lineage, it doesn't matter. But the Buddha is addressing those people and he's addressing us today. Of all paths, the Eightfold Path is unsurpassed. Of all truths, the Four Noble Truths are incomparable. And the noblest attainment is this passion, letting go of all self-referential views. The noblest attainment, Why is that? Why is the noblest attainment this passion? Because it ends clinging to greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. The one who knows is foremost among teachers. There is only one path, the Eightfold Path, the Buddha reiterates. There is no other path for the purification of insight. We know that that is insight into the three marks of existence, the impermanence of all things mentioned in just a moment, the not self characteristics, anatta, and the resulting stress and suffering that comes that follows from a misunderstanding of self in relation to the impermanent phenomenal world that it lives in. Develop this path, and you will abandon ignorance of what I just mentioned. The Eightfold path is the path leading to the full understanding and cessation of suffering. Then the Buddha says, "I have made known, I have sorry, I have made known the path I discovered." for removing the thorn of craving. That's another important line because most every every modern lineage diminishes Siddhartha Gautama's achievement by saying he was just one of an endless number of Buddhas. And he says this line almost anticipating what people might do with his lineage. I have made known the path I discovered for removing the thorn of craving. Awakened ones describe the path, but you alone must walk it. Those well-concentrated, another reference to to jhana, those well-concentrated who walk this path are released from the bonds of mara. Mara is always a a euphemism of of ignorance. Understand this. All conditioned things that arise will pass away. Understanding this, the, the, the disciple, those that have engaged in the discipline of developing the dhamma, the disciple ends clinging to views ignorant of four noble truths, and so turns away from disappointment. Another word for dukkha would be disappointment or discontent. Then the Buddha says, "This is my path to purification. Understanding this, all conditioned things are not self, meaning all the all the um, the fabricated views we've created about ourselves." That I'm this, I'm that, I need this, I need that. They're all conditioned and they are not self. That's the the Buddha's teaching on Anatta. And notice he's he's not saying that there's no such thing as a self. He's simply saying that the views that we are holding of a self do not constitute the reality of a human self. The views are wrong. They're a wrong view. Let go of the views. And so develop the first factor of the Eightfold Path, right view through concentration and recognition of wrong views and abandoning those views, then right view is developed. It's just that simple and it's just that direct. Our minds are complicated by conflict and grasping, but the Dhamma itself is simple and direct. Understanding this, a disciple ends clinging to views ignorant of four noble truths and turns away from disappointment. Again, this is my path to purification. Understand this, all conditioned things are disappointing. Understanding this, the disciple ends clinging and turns away from disappointment. So how do we know what we're supposed to focus on? Well, what we're not supposed supposed to focus on, according to the Buddha and according to me, is anything that's disappointing. If you find something in your mind and in your life that's disappointing, abandon it. Don't massage it. Don't play with it. I would say don't even take it to your therapist, but maybe you should. I'm not not saying don't use your therapist for how they're used. But recognize that if it's disappointing in any way, it's simply because of a wrong view. And we, as the Buddha teaches, and as we learn here, are in complete control of our thinking, at least after a certain point. And if we're in complete control of our thinking, remember the Buddha says in the Santana Sutta, We gain the ability to think what we want to think, when we want to think it. If we have developed that level of concentration and control, when we recognize something that is disappointing, let it go, abandon it. And that's all we should do, and it's all we ever can do. This is my path to purification. Though young and strong, they waste their lives through laziness and vanity. Such a person remains blind to the path. A person well-concentrated and mindful of thoughts, words, and deeds avoids hurting themselves and others. How do we become mindful of thoughts, words, and deeds? Anybody have an answer? Anybody, anybody, anybody? Online? That leads to holding in mind.
1: The virtuous factors.
0: Yeah, there it is. Half a star, full star. (laughs) The right speech, right (laughs) action, (laughs) and right livelihood. Or how we come to grips, how we understand what is wrong speech, wrong action, and wrong livelihood. There, again, there's nothing left up to, for speculation or for guessing or for getting out of our body yet again to f- discover. We become mindful of our speech, our actions, and our livelihood that flows from that. And when we find a thought, a word, or a deed that is disappointing or hurtful in any way, what do we do? We simply abandon it. We treat ourselves with great gentleness. We don't judge ourselves harshly. We simply recognize it's a common human occurrence to act in ways that are ignorant of four noble truths, and now we don't have to do that anymore. A person, a person well concentrated and mindful of thoughts, words, and deeds, avoids hurting themselves and others, purifying themselves themselves through the eightfold path. They complete the path taught by this great sage. Again, it's simple and direct, isn't it? Again, imagine the Buddha sitting in front of you, or me, telling you this simple thing. If you want to do what he did, you complete the path. Wisdom rests on jhana. Without jhana, wisdom fades. I have known these two paths, one of progress and one of decline. And the Buddha is saying, I'm just like you. I searched and searched and searched. I found all these things that were just a distraction to me. Even though many, many people were practicing them. Even though, and as the Buddha teaches in, in many of the suttas, he had great respect before and after with his teachers. But they weren't for him. He walked both of those paths. One was a path of progress and one was of decline." a distraction, develop jhana, and increase wisdom. That's what was missing in those other paths. An actual meditation method, even though he studied all the, the uh, major meditation methods of his time, none of them led to jhana. They all led to speculation and grasping after experiences within meditation. We don't do that, do we? We meditate for one reason, to deepen concentration, so that we can support the refined mindfulness that holds in mind, the Eightfold Path, as the Buddha teaches you. So,
2: John, would you say that what was missing in other paths is intention?
0: That's a big part of it. What, what David is talking about is intention or right intention. And right intention counters, in the moment, the immediate reaction for craving and clinging to what is craved. So the intention to recognize right intention is the intention in this moment, in my dhamma practice. To recognize and abandoning, craving for, and clinging to objects and events, including my thoughts, that are ig- excuse me ignorant of four noble truths. Is that where you're going? Yeah, it's just, it seems like
2: the other paths lead to something, but it's not leading to the resolution of the cessation of suffering. That yes. They
3: were based on on
0: a different view. A different so. A, a different on, view, a different yeah. intention, yeah. On, and, on and none of them included, none of, the, none of the past that the Buddha studied, and none that I have studied in my lifetime, dealt in any way with real concentration for a purpose. Now some would say that, in fact I've had discussions with some students about um, the rituals that are common in modern Buddhism, such as, uh, such as bowing or chanting, that that type of rep- rep- repetition can lead to concentration. It, it can, to a certain extent, but it's not the kind... If I do a million or a hundred... I, I once joined a, uh took vows in a practice that teaches that, you take your vows, you do this and that, and then you do 108,000 vows, full prostrations, before your actual training can begin. And this is one of the most um, populated modern practices. So I started that because I, I wanted to be a part of this. And I did about seven, and I figured that wasn't for me, that's not for me. But I felt bad about it too, because I thought that there was some value in it until I, su- I studied what the Buddha actually taught. And he said that none of that is anything that he taught. So we use this simple method of recognizing that we're distracted by our thoughts or a thought attached to a feeling. I'm describing jhana meditation and the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. We recognize that, that we're distracted in that way, and we simply take a breath. That's jhana meditation. And in the next breath, we might find that we're distracted again. What do we do? We take another breath. That's jhana meditation. And both of those components are jhana meditation. In other words, jhana meditation isn't just being mindful of your breath. I've never been able to do that, and I don't know anybody that's ever been able to do it. And according to what the Buddha teaches, he wasn't able to do it. So the goal of jhana meditation is to not... Just breathe, like we're often taught. Ah, oh, just breathe. That's the end of it. That's the solution to everything. No. Recognizing that you're distracted by your own thoughts and breathe. Take a breath. Unite your mind and your body. And when we do that on our cushion, then we can take it off our cushion. If we don't do it on our cushion, we shouldn't expect to do it off our cushion, should we? Again, the importance of jhana meditation. Cut down the forest of craving. Thank you, David, by the way. Cut down the forest of craving and the underbrush, but not the tree of truth. What the, the Buddha is saying is, discard anything that is a distraction. The forest of desire brings fear. Clear-cut desire, fear and delusion. Dispassion is nirvana, meaning dispassion is awake. Nirvana or nirvana. It literally means extinguishing the fire. And as the Buddha refers to passion often, it's the fires of passion that we are to, to recognize and abandon in Dhamma practice. Because the word is apt. It is through my passion for continued self-establishment self, self establishment in the world, the fabricated self, that I literally burn myself up. I, I keep the fire going. And if I want to cool down, I develop concentration and, and practice the Eightfold Path. As long as the underbrush of desire is maintained, the most subtle form of stress, the stress of physical craving, remains. This one's mind is in bondage to ignorant views like a sucking, suckling pig. What a line. This one's mind is in bondage like a suckling pig. Abandon craving as one would remove the autumn lotus. Remain mindful and cultivate only one path to Nibbana, the only one made known by me. These, these <laughs> words, when I first read them, um, and it wasn't, in, it wasn't in this chapter, were stunning to me because my practice up until that point, it was, a, it was a diligent, wholehearted practice, was to grasp at every new idea that had the label Buddhist on it and every new teacher that I came across. Because they were the key to my salvation. Why did I fall into it? Because most of it was probably presented as salvation and I bought into the need for salvation. I was a broken self. There was something wrong or something lacking in me. I classify that and characterize that today as self-loathing because that might sound like a harsh word, but that's what it is and it makes the point. If in this moment I think there is anything missing or wrong with me, it's because I'm rooted in self-loathing. And I'm doomed to continue that existence because that's what I'm holding in mind. Even after I might grasp after something more um, compassionate or whatever that might be fitting into my ideology of who I should be rather than simply resting in this moment on what I am, a human being. That's what the Buddha taught. To be able to concentrate at such a profound level And in this moment, on the fact that I'm a human being. Why is that so radical? Because nobody else figured it out until him. He realized that everything else that people were practicing, whether in a so-called spiritual or religious practice or just ignoring everything and living their lives, as the Buddha said, was like a living death, a living death rooted in ignorance. Why is it characterized that way? Because we're not living a human life. We're living the fabricated life of who I think I am and that, that person who needs certain things in this moment to be happy or safe or fulfilled or not discontented. And so what's the solution? What is the solution resolving in this moment? In a moment that is free of conflict and free of discontent. What does that imply? It implies radical contentment, radical acceptance right here and right now. Of everything of my life as my life unfolds the fool plans for the seasons while ignoring the danger of a living death meaning planning for the future without recognizing that you're dying right now it's like a living death when you're living a fabrication you're not living what the reality of this moment on the outside it might it will look exactly the same You can't walk up to somebody and say, Hey, you're in a fabrication, but I'm not. We all are. Until we awaken to the fact that we did it to ourselves. Death carries away the person clinging to worldly entanglements just as a great flood carries away a sleeping village. Death carries away the person clinging to worldly entanglements just as a great flood carries away a sleeping village. And the Buddha is not talking about a physical death. He's talking about the living death of ignorance. No friends or family can save one from this death. The wise understand and hasten to clear the path to awakening. The wise understand and hasten to clear the path to awakening. That last line, clearing the path, infers that the path might need some clearing. And So what is it? What what do we have to clear away from the path? It's my own doubt. It's my own objections. It's my own clinging to my fabricated views that block the path. And every one of us has had to do that. If you're sitting here tonight or online, you've come up against a path that seemed like it was blocked at one point, especially when you began, and maybe at other times in your practice. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. If you, if you find yourself ten years into your Dhamma practice and there's something that feels like it's blocking, what do you do? Well, you read this chapter, you take a breath and you continue. Because it's the Dhamma itself that's the answer to all of these difficulties with the path. And we always return to what the Buddha returns to here. We always return to our Jhana practice. Because a well-concentrated mind is always able to, to hold in mind or develop the refined mindfulness of this Eightfold Path, which is the resolution. It's not outside. The problem with a mind that's conditioned initially that way is we can't help but bring that fabrication into our Dhamma practice. And the only thing that will resolve it is continued Dhamma practice. No teacher, no Sangha, no encouragement can help that. As the Buddha says in this, sut- this chapter again, it's up to us to do it. A wise teacher, we have, I think, are all our teachers here? I think, yes. Yeah. You have five very wise teachers and me here tonight. We're all saying that this is what you can do, this is what we do, but you have to do it yourself. Two suttas tonight. So. Uh, let's go around. Uh, we'll go online first, as we usually do. Jeff, it's good to see you tonight.
3: Good to see you and everybody.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll uh, once again. Take
0: noble silence, if that's okay. It certainly is. I'm glad you joined us. Uh, Jane, how are you?
4: I'm well, thank you. I have nothing to add, except that um, as I go through my days, I'm finding more and more times of peace. So the only I can attribute it to is my Dharma practice. Yeah. And so I'm very grateful for that.
0: You, you said a lot, Jane. Thank you. Nina, how are you?
4: Thank you. Um, I thought of a lot of things, but um, first, as you were talking, I thought about how good distractions can sometimes feel, (laughs) and um, and how quickly this practice can. Um, like fall to the side especially to a novice yep. I'm, I'm feeling my beginnerness. Um this time of year I can fall into I guess as you said it like a disappointment loop mm-hmm. I feel that as the seasons change a lot Um. so I don't know I'm just trying to have grace for myself but the disappointment loop and the Um, just my perceptions of things being stressful or, you know, the darkness has an impact on me this time of year. And then just kind of reminding myself that my perceptions are not the truth.
0: Yeah, That's outstanding, Nina. I mean, you really have developed an understanding of the Dhamma that will continue to, to serve you well. And, the, and I think you're getting the understanding that if in this moment you're feeling, uh, you're feeling the darkness and you're feeling disappointed, you also understand that that's an impermanent state, even though it might be persistent, and to take a breath, come back, unite your mind and your body and continue with Dhamma practice. So, and you're also learning something very valuable. The Dhamma doesn't take away stress and suffering, it eliminates our own contributions to it, meaning it allows us to be a human being who does experience stress but accepts stress as part of having a human life. The disappointing times, the change in the season, which is very common for people, um, I mean, there's a word for it, for people that get extremely affected, seasonal affected disorder, but it affects an awful lot of people that don't become, um, uh, it's not a clinical uh, situation, situation or a malady but it certainly affects you and all that we can do is like we do with everything else in life is we practice the dhamma and it sounds like you're doing it wonderfully well so and thank you for your honesty tonight too thanks thank you you're welcome brian how are you good hey john how are you good thanks um i keep
1: running back in my head the the all conditioned things that arise will pass away yeah and that there isn't much in this existence that's not conditioned through our sixth sense base.
0: Yeah.
1: And understanding that there, there's that dispassion that starts to grow with, with all of it. Yeah. And I don't know where I'm going with this other
0: than... You're uh, describing the path.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, just seeing that in motion and developing that dispassion, it just, I, I guess, just helps get through the, the darkness, as Nina was saying.
0: Yeah. And I would, I would bet you're finding much more meaning in things that in the past you, you might not even, you know, even noticed in your life. Is that true? Am and I putting words in your mouth?
1: You you broke up a little bit there. What was the first part?
0: That you are finding meaning in things that in the past you might have seemed almost insignificant to you.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost like it's flipped, right? Like the the little things have become the big things and the big things are just like, eh. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just, it's an interesting, it's a paradoxical shift. Um, Which just in some, some way, weird way, makes a whole lot of sense.
0: Yeah. It, we 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 gain the ability to be at peace with situations and ourselves when we are disappointed, as Nina was describing. We yeah. we it's okay, you know. This is just part of having a human life.
1: Yeah, yeah, it makes it easier.
0: Yeah, thank you, Brian. Thank uh, you. Let's start it back, Brett. How are you?
1: I'm good. Good to be here.
5: Thanks for your teaching. There was a little, there was a lot in there, and it definitely described the path I think a lot. Of Brian just had talked about. Uh, thought I could <coughs> really relate to that and uh you know just um I guess uh, a feel a, a feeling attached to a thought is what I kind of got out of it and then you know you get stuck you get stuck in that loathing and then you're really it's you're nothing more than you know human being <clears throat> what you were saying and I think you, get, you can kind of get you get stuck there and for the aggregates and stuff like that, that's where all—I don't. Know, for me, that's where all the stuff arises. So that's yeah.
2: where—that's
5: where it all happens, and where you come back to your breath and realize it's just <clears throat> a feeling.
0: Yeah, and you're recognizing the diminishing of that self-loathing, if you will.
5: Yeah, I'm recognizing when I'm—I <clears> think <throat> when I'm in it and it's just a total block, and it's like you don't really—I don't have to be there. It's just. Uh,
0: yeah, it's your choice.
5: Yeah, yeah. You can, you can. It's it's easier to just completely step out of it. I don't, I don't identify with those things so much anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever I'm feeling, you know, not quite, not not as associated with it. So yeah.
0: that's so, it. It's worth the price of admission.
6: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Brett. Dustin. Good evening. It's good to see you.
6: Good to see you, Tim. Um, this was my favorite teaching. This was great. Um, every time I come, it feels like a piece of the puzzle falls into place. Yeah. Um, and I realized because I kept saying like what's craving and clinging like how can I so many things that could be in my mind um, and I realized that the main thing that I crave is stress
0: yeah that's, right.
6: that's what I'm addicted to mm-hmm. And uh, but disappointment is a way to sort of identify that stress so I really appreciate that yeah. the teaching that gave me a real foundation to sort of Notice when I'm feeling that disappointment that I'm actually creating stress in my mind. Yeah. And I'm, I've been doing it my whole life.
0: Yeah. We all have it. And it's, and it's not out there. We like to say it's out there. If things would just be different, if that person would be different, if my dog would be different, if my car would be different. Yeah. None of that can be different because it's already what's going on. The only thing that can be different is the way that I see things
6: always want everything to be different. Yeah. And it causes so much stress. Yeah.
0: Instead of what you're learning here, which is radical acceptance. Yep. And and I, I would bet you're learning the difference between acceptance and approval, correct? Yes. You don't need to approve of things. You accept them because, for the most mature reason, that's why I say awakening really means full human maturity. We accept what's occurring because it's what's occurring.
6: It feels like growing up.
0: Yeah, it mm-hmm. is. Sleep. Yeah, I can't wait till I do it. Thank <laughs> you, Dustin. Tom, is that you? I'm sorry. Yes, it been good been to, It's you. good to almost see you.
2: Yes, thank
5: you. It's nice to be here. Um, thank you for the teaching. It's just, it occurs to me what a what a what a beautiful, elegant uh, teaching this is, and interesting. You mentioned it's the twentieth lesson that, that, at this point, come back to something just
2: so simple and yeah. fundamental as uh, uh, John. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Todd. It really is, I mean, it, you know, I, I think I say this about every class I teach, too, but it really is remarkable how, uh, and this is, this is from 2,600 years ago. You know, that, I mean, again, when I think about that and how useful these things are, these truths are. And how, how long it's been lost. And how long, yeah, I mean, even, I mean, it's, it's really, there's still things called Buddhism in India where the Buddha taught, but it's nothing compared, to, you, know, you can't relate it to what this actually is. So in effect, what this great man taught is almost lost. But here it is, it's still here. It takes a little bit of digging to find it out. But again, we are so far, while I was meditating, I'm not supposed to think of things when you're meditating, but I was, of just how fortunate I am to be, I almost cry when I think about it, how fortunate I am to be sitting here with this group, online and in this room, and have this practice. Because since I was a little boy, I wanted to understand. I didn't know that I wanted to... I didn't understand that I needed to understand, but that's what I wanted. And I fulfilled my dreams for this lifetime. There's not many people that can say that. But we can. We can. Thank you, Tom. Hello, Grant. Welcome to our Sangha.
3: Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Glad you're here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I know I'm kind of new to this whole thing. I, I guess I grappled with other meditations and practices, but nothing super disciplined and focused. Yeah. So I'm at a time in my life where I feel like it's just things are not, not working out as well as I want to. And, and I have picked up some, maybe some chronic injuries. Yeah. I don't know how, I can't, I can't say where they've come from exactly, but I was an athlete in college you know, a couple of years ago, so now I'm I know, beginning my, my practice, I've been working with Matt here too and he's kind of turned me on to this stuff and started reading the book, The Truth of Happiness and um, I guess I'm on week week four, so I'm supposed to read week four which is The Evil Path, and so it's, it came at the right time. Not, I didn't know when I would come to a Sangha, but uh, I guess Matt is very persuasive. He is. He's just a good dog. Yeah, and I'm just excited to, you know, I feel like I'm just maybe unlearning a lot of things and trying to develop good habits for myself and stuff that's timeless habits that are going to help me grow. And, and uh, yeah, I'm just excited to grow and, and learn and better my practice. So thanks for yeah.
0: that me. Thank you for being here, and uh, I'm excited. We're all excited to, to watch you grow with us. Uh, you'll hear me say this at every class: be gentle with yourself. Uh, the the Dharma kind of it, it kind of comes to you as you stay with it. Uh, the more effort, you know, the sixth factor of the Eightfold Path is right effort. The more right effort you put in, the greater your benefit. But you can't you can't get past yourself either. So again, be gentle with yourself. Be consistent with your meditation practice, and uh, come to as many classes. as as you can, right. uh, the rest will the rest will fall into place. Have you have been to the website and you've listened to the I, guided meditations?
3: I have listened to guided meditations, sure. uh, a couple. You know, I mostly just read the book and I I went on. What was it called? The one I listened to your podcast, mm-hmm. so I will Well, I'll listen to some of the. I started listening to the the lectures that corresponding course lectures. Good. So I'll usually read. I come in here on Tuesdays and then I'll start the next and then at the end of the week, I'll you know, I'll do my practices throughout the week. At the end of the week, I'll, I'll listen to the lectures and the podcast here. You
0: know. If you want to interact with me, if you want to send me a weekly or a submission in for each, each chapter, do it, and I'll respond to you as soon as I can. Um, and the other thing, just listen to the to the meditations. Um, five or ten minutes to start out twice a day is important. You can do that. You're well on your way.
3: Yeah, I started. I guess once a day, uh, and I'm, I'm picking up. Yeah, the second session during the day, and then I'm trying to gradually. I start with five minutes. I want to, you know, go, go longer. And hopefully, you know, I'm not like you said. I think consistency is the big thing. It is. And, it is. You know, catch yourself maybe doing situations, and well, I don't think being, just being a lot easier. And, I don't know. I get you know anyone gets stressed during the day, a little things. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and start developing that understanding that nothing is personal even though even though you might be taking it as personal in the moment of time take a breath get back in your body and if you uh, if you're meditating say 5 minutes in the morning and you want to start a second sit it doesn't even have to be 5 minutes just get into the discipline of one or 2 minutes and and very soon with that consistency you'll have a you'll have a, a full fledged meditation practice within this Proper context. It's not crazy, but like
3: sometimes
0: during the day, I just take two minutes and say,
3: "You know, I'm just gonna close my eyes." That's outstanding. Yeah. You know? So maybe I have a lot
0: of many, many meditations throughout the day. Good for you. Good for you. And I'm always available to you. And you know that Matt's always available to you. If you ever have a question for me, just send me an email. I appreciate it. Thank you. Glad you're here. Welcome to our fund Laura, how are you tonight? I'm good. Thank
5: you for having me,
6: John.
0: Glad you're here.
6: I'm still
0: reflecting on everything that you said, but so I'll take noble silence. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. Dharma teacher Kevin.
1: Nice to see you, nice to see everybody. I think I'll take noble silence today, thank you.
0: I'm glad you're here. Dharma teacher Robin. <sighs> also, glad to be here. Um, it's, yes, every time
2: I'm here, I'm just happy to be here. Just being here in the Sangha <laughs> and in class is, is always just a pleasure. Uh, and, and having having the Eightfold Path as as an organizing principle
0: in, in your life is uh, it's just a, a wonderful thing to have found. Uh, and I can only say that I'm grateful. Thank you. That's a great way to put it, an organizing principle. Because that really was. We use it to organize our lives in in skillful ways. Uh Thank you. Dhamma teacher David. We're (coughs) filthy with Dhamma
2: teachers. (laughs) And the practice and the evil path allows you to peel away the veil of delusion. and You always say, can a deluded mind see that they're delusional and this is what this practice is for so uh, Dustin can see to and have awareness of things arise and be mindful so it is something to be thankful for it's uh, Mm -hmm. something to stick with because you can as you said slide back and you know it takes diligence and you know stick to itness for it to really
0: work so thank you. Thank you wise words. Dhamma teacher Jim Hi
7: John um, so I, the little nugget that I, that I honed in on for tonight was <coughs> turning away from discontent. in it because it points out the movement the constant movement in the mind and our, our opportunity to choose to move towards discontent or contentment and Also, I was kind of thinking about the subtle difference between understanding discontent, moving away from discontent versus aversion to seeing things clearly.
0: Those strings are really and, subtle. Yeah,
7: and how there's been times in my own practice when I've even, I mean, even now, where it's it's really, I'm, I'm telling myself that I'm and I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I get caught in that space. Am I am I turning away from discontent, or am I am I you know, averse t- to what's happening. Mm. Just because the, the, this feeling is the same and it's kind of it's sticky, sticky yeah. in there. Uh-huh. So yeah. turning away from discontent sort of helps to clear, the, clarify that, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, it makes great sense. <laughs> Jen is describing becoming sensitive to your own mind, being able to see these subtle differences that most human beings would never consider I mean, if you, if you told someone it would be a good idea to do this, you'd say, well, you're out of your mind. But you are out of your mind if you don't do this, if you don't understand this, 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 this suppleness, if you don't have the suppleness to understand the subtleties within your own thinking and the framework of the Eightfold Path gives you It's also what, what Dustin was describing, too, seeing that, uh, seeing the things that we create in our own minds. And you know, I, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that we've all, we are all talking about, in one sense or another, taking responsibility for what we're thinking. Why wouldn't we want to do it? But most people would never even consider that that's a good idea to take control of what you're thinking. In fact, you could say that the world is designed in a way, or especially our modern society, to not pay attention to what you're thinking, to always be grasping after whatever it might be, you know, the next post or the next... Whatever, whatever yeah, things you can use. Yeah, the used.
7: answer is let it go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: and, and, and be well-concentrated and very gentle mm. with yourself and what's occurring. And, and there you go, you know, that leads us to Dhammati. Thank you. Mm. To Dhammati Mac. Hey, John. Hey, everybody. Really glad to be here tonight.
8: Um, you know, going around the Zoom room and going around the room here, listening to everybody talk about this vaga um, just really heartened by the right effort that everyone's Mm -hmm. demonstrating in their practice Mm -hmm. and every week I hear people bringing whatever they're working on in their life here and that's really um, it's really valuable it's really valuable for me it's really valuable for the Sangha and I, I as I, in the listening I hear it's very valuable for everyone okay. and we're, like has been said a couple times tonight we're just really fortunate and grateful to have a space where everybody feels good about sharing what they're working on in their lives and in the context of the Dhamma. So it just warms my heart on this
0: cold, dark night. (laughs) (laughs) Mine too. Thank you, Matt. Um, What a great class. I wanted to talk about something that I just thought about. We usually would discuss this in a teacher's meeting uh, but we're running a little short on time as far as where we are in the year. Anyway, um, we've always had, uh, for years and years and years, we used to have a Donna dinner on Thanksgiving week. Um, we stopped doing that a couple of years ago, but we've had a uh, just a, a Sangha dinner. Uh, we all went out as a Sangha to a local restaurant. And we did that for a few years until last year because of COVID. And again, I didn't talk about this with our teachers, but I think we'd like to do it again. Is that it? Yes. Yes, yes, yes? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to have to come up with a date, but I just want to... You're all invited. Uh, It's probably going to be... Well, it will be sometime in December, likely up here uh, in Mm Frenchtown at Bamboo House. Uh, They can accommodate us, and they have a room that they usually can give us. Uh, But everyone's invited. Everyone uh, has to come. (laughs) If you're within a two-hour drive... (laughs) Uh, if you're within a three-hour flight, you know, <laughs> if yeah, Brian. Please, you want yeah, to include Brian yeah, in there, yeah. Uh, if you're in the con- the contiguous, is that how you say contiguous? Forty-eight, yes. <laughs> please, please come. I will, I will. We'll discuss it probably through some emails uh, and come up with a date. Uh, but you know, probably the first or second week of December, I would bet that we're going to do that. I'm only a
1: one-hour flight just FYI. Oh, oh yeah, cool. Yeah, any, anybody within a one-hour, an 10 minutes flight. Yeah, there we go. <laughs>
0: Uh, You have to be here for it. So, um, or you won't awaken. just won't happen. Keep it in mind. Uh, No
4: pressure. No pressure, Brian.
0: No no pressure. But if you do come, awakening is guaranteed.
1: Well, how could I not come then? Well,
0: you haven't heard the cost yet. cost for awakening can be steep. You get the awakening and fortune cookies. Yeah. Oh, I said. Let's get serious here. This is serious stuff. We'll finish with metta, the Buddha's words on metta, as we always do. So again, find your relaxed meditative posture. Gently close your eyes, gently close your mouth, and become mindful of the sensation of breathing in your body. And let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. Even as a mother protects with her life her child her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding, By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Thank you, Jim. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.